Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of The Real World. Of course, The Real World is the official radio show of the UBC Film Society. This is your host, Juan Paulo Sa, and today I am joined by a very special guest, and this is someone that is going to be part of The Real World from now on. Her name is Lily Grow. so big round of applause for Lily. Yay. Thank you, thank you. Hi, I'm Lily. I'm really excited to be here for the first for my first episode with Amazing. The <laughs> yeah, so Lily is awesome. Lily, for those of you who don't know, is the junior radio liaison for the UBC Film Society. Um, yeah, Lily's very interested in radio. Lily loves movies. Lily is a very talented artist, so it's going to be very exciting to have Lily co-hosting this episode from now on. So yeah, okay, uh, that out of the way, I think let's move on to talk about the UBC Film Society. So if you guys are UBC students and you guys are really into film and you love movies and you really want to be a part of this incredible community, make sure you are following the UBC Film Society's Instagram. Very important. It is in that Instagram where we post information about, you know, future events, about future things we're going to do, about future screenings, about, you know, yeah, stuff that's going to happen in the film community here at UBC. For instance, there is a pub night that is happening very, very soon. So if you guys are interested in joining us for the pub night, make sure you follow our Instagram and, you know, follow the instructions. And who knows, maybe you'll see me and or Lily at the pub night. Hell yeah. But okay, <laughs> that out of the way, it is time we jump into our main topic of the day. And the main topic we're going to talk about today is my personal list of my top 10 movies of 2022. So 2022 just ended. I think it was a pretty good year for films. What do you think, Lily? Yeah, I think so. Hell yeah. You know, some absolute masterpieces, in my opinion. Uh, so yeah, you know, today, this week, we're going to go through my list of my top 10 movies of the year. Uh, before that, I will go through some honorable mentions. You know, I, I will go through my number 20 to number 11, who are my, which are my honorable mentions. And then we will jump into my top 10 of the year. And yeah, so if you guys are interested in, you know, knowing my thoughts, knowing my takes and knowing what I think about movies, you know, get a pen and paper and make sure you're <laughs> writing this down because I'm going to be listing some pretty freaking great films. Okay, so my honorable mentions are number 20, Avatar The Way of Water, a film that just, you know, restored my sense of wonder. It restored my inner child. It made me feel things that I haven't felt since 2009 when I saw the first film. It's just such a cool world to live in that this film just, just, it just filled me with joy. Then my number 19, I would put Broker. Broker is, of course, the newest film from, from Hirokazu Koreida, who is a South Korean director who previously directed Shoplifters. I don't know if, have you seen Shoplifters, Lily? No, I haven't. Well, Hirokazu Koreida, uh, all of the films he's made, or at least the ones that I've seen, are movies that deal very deeply with, like, found families and, like, you know, people creating familiar bonds even though they are not biological families. Very beautiful films. I love Shoplifters, but I do think that Broker might be my favorite of his. So I really love this film. Very, very beautiful. And that is my number 19. Then my number 18, also in my honorable mentions, is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Did you watch this one, Lily? No, I see that one uh-huh well bodies 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 is a super fun murder mystery a super fun whodunit it is a whodunit for you know for gen seers <laughs> for people in our generation it is simultaneously making fun of gen seers but also so sort of relishing and how cool it is to be part of this generation it is super funny it is scary it is atmospheric it is really really cool i really enjoyed it and you know it is another great film from a24 
And we will be talking about A24 more throughout this list because, you know, I absolutely adore their films. Then, my number 17, sorry about that. My number 17, also in the honorable mentions, is Decision to Leave, the newest film by Park Chan-wook. Have you seen any movies from this director, Lily? I saw Decision to Leave. Ah, what do you think of Decision to Leave, Lily? I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was beautiful. I completely agree. I, I freaking adore this film. Honestly, right now, it's my number 17 in my ranking of everything I saw in 2022. But I can see this film growing on me and I can see it getting higher and higher, you know, as the more I think about it. Because this is a film that it is fucking dense. It is dense with symbolism, with imagery, with metaphors. Uh, I think the way I described it in a previous episodes is this film feels like a neo-noir, like, you know, like a film noir of, you know, the good old days mm. with like, a you know, you have a femme fatale, you have a fatalistic story, you have mystery, you have intrigue. And I, I just, I really freaking adore that film. I agree. It's got a lot going on. I like that they tie in like the romance with it. Yes, I, I, I 100% agree. Then my number 16 is a film that has been a bit controversial. And, you know, not everyone is on the same page, but I really love it. And that is Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. I'm a big fan of Darren Aronofsky. I adore The Black Swan. I adore Requiem for a Dream. That film traumatized me. I saw it way too young and it really had an impact on me. Um, I love Mother. I love The Fountain. I love The Wrestler. I, I love this director. I love his films. And The Whale is not the exception. I... I think the best way I can describe this film is this movie felt like the cinematic equivalent of a Rorschach test in the sense that I personally believe that, you know, depending who you are and what your perspective on life is, you're going to get something completely different out of this film. It is a very interesting film with one of the best performances I've ever seen, which is, you know, Brendan Fraser as the main character in the film. Absolutely incredible. I 100% believe in the Brendan Fraser sons or the the Brenna sons. <laughs> Uh, which, by the way, Brendan Fraser just won Best Actor yesterday at the Critics' Choice Award. Oh, wow. Hell yeah. So let's see if he can get the Oscar. He definitely would have my vote if I were voting in yeah, the Oscars. Yeah, sounds like he's going to be up there. I haven't seen it yet, so that's on my list. Have you seen any other uh, Darren Aronofsky film, though? Uh, Black Swan? No, I actually haven't seen Ooh. Black Swan. Oh, Lily, you got you you got you got some homework to do. <laughs> I do. Oh, uh, Black Swan is freaking amazing. I I, I really love Aronofsky. Then moving on, my number 15, also in the honorable mentions, is a film that completely won over my heart. The first time I saw it, I just, I was expecting something very silly. And coming out of the theater for the first time, I, you know, I kind of liked it, but I didn't love it. But this is a film that just kept growing more and more on me. And now I, now I think it's amazing. And this film is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. This is a film that is so small in size. It is so small in scale. But it has such a big heart that it is, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it made me cry. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. It's very simple. It's very pretty. It's, you know, it's one of those feel-good movies. And it, it really hit me. I agree. It's something you have to give a chance. When you, when I looked at it, I, I don't know. I, my hopes weren't too high. It's not <laughs> like something I would originally go for. But um, I would give it a chance. It, it was really lovely. I cried as well. Yeah, no, beautiful, beautiful film. Especially, you know, if you're someone who has like a deep connection with your grandmother, definitely <laughs> yeah. check it out. That's true, that's true. I, I have a very special connection with my grandmother. So watching that film, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was so much more profound than I was expecting. Like I wasn't expecting this little film about a seashell to just touch upon topics of, of fame and what it means to live and, you know, what gives meaning to her life. It was just... Such a beautiful movie. 
I agree. It it really caught me by surprise. It was it was beautiful when he goes out into the world. Ugh. Hell yes, I completely agree. Wait, oh my volume. There it is. Okay, now moving on. Number fourteen in my list is Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. Hell yeah! <laughs> For those of you who don't see, Lily is shaking her head right now. But I freaking adore this film. Okay, um, I. I generally think, okay, I think Ryan Johnson is an absolute genius. He's a genius at subverting your expectations. I am not the biggest fan of The Last Jedi. That is the one Ryan Johnson film that I can't stand. But everything else, I really freaking love. I love the way he subverted your expectations in Knives Out, where, spoiler alert, he literally made a whodunit where they tell you who did it, like in the first 15 minutes. <laughs> and then it's just something completely different. And in a similar way, I love the way in which he, you know, subverted our expectations in Glass Onion. You know, here in Glass Onion, people came into this film expecting like a big, complicated, convoluted mystery with plot twists and reveals. But no, it's it's all in the title. This film is a Glass Onion. It is something that appears to be very convoluted and very complex, but the core is in view from the very beginning because it is a glass freaking onion. So... I, I loved it. I, I know a lot of people found it unsatisfying. I'm assuming one of those is Lily, but I, I I thought it was incredible. I will say the ending, I do have some problems with the ending of the film. I'm not going to spoil it, but the <laughs> ending is like the one thing that is keeping me from putting it inside my top 10. What do you think about Glass Onion, Lily? I, I hear what you're saying. I think I do fall in that that group of people who was just like expecting a bit more of a big reveal mm. or like something that was like, oh, I should have noticed that before. But all of the reveals were just like, I don't know, like, it's not even like I could be like so unsatisfied with myself. Like, oh, I should have got that. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was just. Yep. It's 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 a glass onion. <laughs> I know, but I, I do. I hear what you're saying about that. I think that's something to take into consideration that at the core, it was just kind of a simple thing when he did his little reveal and everyone was like, yeah, that's true. I don't want to give it away. Either, yeah, no, let's, let's not reveal it. But yeah, I mean, that's I, I think that's just Ryan Johnson's staple. You know, he loves to subvert things. He loves to flip things over their head and just completely play with genre and audience expectations. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've seen Looper, but that's a, a sci-fi that plays with all the expectations that people have about sci-fi movies and time travel movies. Um, you know, same with uh, Knives Out, you know, in, in the ways that I previously explained. Yeah. Uh, same with Brick. He has this little film called Brick, which is like a film noir, like a detective noir, very gritty, except for the fact that they're all teenagers. They're all like middle schoolers. Yeah. <laughs> so you see what I mean? Like he Playing loves, with your expectations. Uh -huh. I, and that's important. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And, you know, he also tried to do that with Star Wars The Last Jedi and the, the, that one didn't work for that me. One <laughs> that one I don't okay. like. Like, you know, I, I I can I can handle him playing with our expectations and subverting everything if it's his own characters and his own stories. But I don't want him flipping Star Wars over the head and just completely changing everything <laughs> yeah. that Star Wars was until that point. Yeah. As a Protect big Star, Star Wars, Wars fan. Keep that to the side. Yes. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Anyways, uh moving on, my number thirteen is a film that I absolutely loved. It really, really hit me. And it is Steven Spielberg's newest film, The Fablemans. This is a movie about, you know, Steven Spielberg and where his passion for filmmaking was born. It is also a story about, um, you know, the complicated situation that his parents lived through, uh, which I'm not going to spoil in case you guys haven't seen the film. But, I mean, Steven Spielberg is one of the best directors of all time. He is one of the most prolific. He's one of the most prominent filmmakers that has ever lived. He was probably the filmmaker who got me interested into movies like yeah. 
yeah, I, I remember watching Jurassic Park when I was a child and being like, holy shit, like they brought dinosaurs back to life. It yeah. was it was freaking insane. So I love Spielberg. I owe so much of, you know, who I am right now to Steven Spielberg and his films that just getting to watch a movie about what made him, you know, and, and, and what got him into the path of filmmaking. It was just really inspiring, really beautiful. And as someone who is also aspiring to be a filmmaker, because, you know, for those of you who don't know, I want to make films. That yeah. is that is my passion. It was just, uh, it was just so touching to see Steven Spielberg struggle and fail and just keep going because he loves it and he knows that's what he wants to do. And uh, God bless you, Steven Spielberg. I, I, <laughs> I freaking love you. What are your thoughts on The Fablemans and Spielberg, Lily? I think it was one of those watches that grew on me like over time. Like when I first left the theater, I don't know. I didn't leave the same way. I left some of the films we'll talk about in your top 10 just like in awe. But after talking about it with my family, I went to see it with my family. Mm. And I thought like debriefing it with them after really helped. And it was still a pretty special experience seeing with them. And we're Jewish, so it kind of hit home on some different levels as well. And it's a family story. So and coming of age and for a filmmaker, um, I mean, I'm also interested in that, too. So I think it touched on a few different things that after thinking about it a bit more, I, I agree. Like it's a it's a good honorable mention. It's Hell up there yeah. for me as well. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, something else that I'll just mention about the Fablemans is I also adore how, you know, Steven Spielberg sprinkles like, oh, so this were the moments where he got inspired to make his later films. Like there's that moment where his mother just opens the car and puts his children in the car and takes them to see a tornado. And there's like, yeah. you know, lightning and, and sparks and electricity and chaos. And, you know, the children are crying in the back seat, And you're like, holy shit, this is literally the scene from uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And that's just one example, but he kept doing that all throughout the film. And you can really see how this person grew and got all of his inspiration for the films that he made. Yeah. Also, you know, Steven Spielberg is a director who always puts himself in his movies. And throughout history, we've seen countless Spielberg movies where we see broken families, where we see absent fathers, where we see parents who are fighting with one another. So he has always been indirectly talking about his own family experience and now seeing him tackle the story head on, yeah. it was just so satisfying. Yeah. So, so beautiful. Also, David Lynch's cameo. <laughs> that was amazing. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> that was, was amazing. That was and the final shot. I'm not yeah, going to spoil it. Yeah, I was going to say, great way to end it off. Yeah. yeah I, I generally think, the even though the film for me is not a top tier Spielberg, like, I would give The Fablemans a 9 out of 10. I, I you know, I, I do think Steven Spielberg has, like, eight films that I would honestly give 10 out of 10. Yeah. I would give The Fablemans a 9 out of 10. Like, I don't think it's up there in the higher echelon of the greatest Spielberg films. But that final shot, holy shit, that final shot is, it's not only one of the best film shots I saw last year, but it's also one of the best Steven Spielberg moments I've ever seen. Yeah. Really, really loved it. It was great. Hell yeah. Anyways, moving on, my number 12 in my honorable mention is... A film that is very important for me. This was actually the first film that I got to review as a member of the press. So, hey, sure, maybe I'm a bit biased because I <laughs> maybe I went into it with rose-colored glasses because I was so excited about reviewing this film as a member of the press. But I am talking about Bass Lerman's Elvis. I am a huge Elvis Presley fan. I love his music. 
And I am a fan of Baz Luhrmann. You know, I, I know a lot of people hate on his style and a lot of people don't like his films. But I, what can I say, man? I just love the chaos. I, I love the hectic energy. I love the colors. I love the fact that every single one of his films is like looking oh, it's like looking through a kaleidos kaleidoscope is that how you say it? Yeah. yeah, it's like colorful and chaotic yeah. and sure it might not make sense but holy shit is it not an experience. And after Bas Lerman took a hiatus a hiatus. What is happening with my English today, Lily? No, that sounded that was right. <laughs> but, okay, after Bas Lerman took a break from making films ever since The Great Gatsby back in 2013, I think. He's been away from making movies for like what nine to ten years, and then he comes back and he makes this Elvis Presley biopic, which, by the way, also contains one of the best performances I've seen yeah. all year with Austin Butler as Elvis Presley, and I think he kicked it out of the park. You know, I I I love this film. Once again, it's chaotic, it's messy, it's it's convoluted and weird and colorful, but I just fell in love with it. Any thoughts? I liked it better than Gatsby. Gatsby. Oh. So I, I was a bit apprehensive going into this one because I did not enjoy Gatsby. I had just read the book before uh-huh. I watched it and I was like, I don't know, it felt a little tacky, but I liked Elvis a lot better. Damn. And it... Austin Butler was amazing. He he kind of brought it up to that next level though. Oh yeah. I also I also love once again similarly to how in Fable in the Fablemans, they show you the inspiration behind the films that Spielberg made. I love how in this film they kind of talk about the inspiration behind the songs that Elvis wrote, especially yeah. how the things that he was living through re- are reflected in the lyrics that he sang. Like you know, especially that one moment where Elvis feels trapped and you know in a situation where he can't escape, and then he starts singing, you know, "I'm caught in a trap." Yeah, and it's yeah. like, oh my god, this is this is amazing. I loved Elvis. Yeah, it's Freaking a great, great watch film. whether you are like a diehard Elvis yeah. fan or not because I really didn't know much but that's also what made it so interesting to watch because I just literally learned everything like I had no prior knowledge so Hell yeah. that was entertaining as well. I also think it was very interesting to tell the story of Elvis Presley from the perspective of the villain, from the perspective of Colonel Parker, you know, Tom Hanks' character. It really, you know, put the film sort of in a similar level to other movies that I absolutely adore, such as Amadeus, the story of Amadeus Mozart, and uh, Hamilton, you know, the story of Alexander Hamilton. You know, Hamilton, the musical, is narrated from Aaron Burr's perspective, mm-hmm. who is the guy who ends up killing Hamilton. And then um, um, Amadeus is told from the perspective of Saglieri, I think it's his name, who is like Mozart's lifelong competitor. And here in this film, you know, this movie is narrated by the colonel, who is the guy who eventually ends up sort of indirectly killing Elvis by pushing him to some very big extents. So I feel like the fact that the whole film is narrated by this guy as he is on his deathbed, hooked on morphine, he's drugged out of his mind, and he's just reminiscing on the life that he had with Elvis Presley. I think that that narrative decision really justifies the craziness of the narrative and of the story. Yeah. Because of course someone who's drugged out of his mind, yeah. of course he's going to remember things that way. Of course it's not going to be linear, of course it's not going to be tidy, of course it's going to be chaotic. So, ah, I love Elvis. And this is these are still the honorable mentions by the way. <laughs> we we haven't gotten into the ones that I really freaking adore. Um anyway, moving on, my number 11, my last honorable mention. And it really pains me not to include this in my main list because I am absolutely in love with this movie. And it is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I I have I have a very special connection with Guillermo del Toro. 
Uh, I did the IB in high school, and I wrote my extended essay on Guillermo del Toro, on oh, Pan's yeah? Labyrinth and The Shape of Water. And I feel like, hey, maybe you'll experience this when you take some film classes uh, here in, in university, Lily, but I feel like when you write about a filmmaker for like a long essay, like a 3,000, 4,000-word essay, I feel like after you've been through that, you just develop a weird bond with this yeah. director. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And I feel that way about Guillermo del Toro. Like, I spent so much time in 11th and 12th grade just investigating about him, watching interviews, watching all of his entire filmography, that I, I, I just freaking adore Guillermo del Toro. And Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is just another reason why I love him. You know, the story of Pinocchio has been told so many different times. I love the original Disney version from 1940, I think. I might be wrong. Uh, but I love the original Disney version. The newest live-action Disney version is absolute trash. As a matter of fact, <laughs> it is... last on your list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for those of you who don't, who don't see my list, um, uh, it's, an, it's an letterbox, by the way. <laughs> Shameless plug, I guess. <laughs> you, you can find me on Letterbox by Juan Pablo Sa. Uh, but yeah, you know, in my letterbox, I have my, my ranking of all the films that I saw in 2022. I saw 78 films that came out in 2022. And Disney's live-action Pinocchio is dead last. It is absolute, absolute freaking trash. There's no other way to put it. Like, this film is the greatest example of the fact that Disney's just completely forgotten what used to make their film special. They're just losing the magic. And it, and it freaking pains me. But yeah, I, I, I hate the newest Disney live-action remake of Pinocchio. But Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, oh my god, it just breathed so so much fresh air, so much fresh energy into a story that has been told so many times before. And it, it it's just beautiful. It is also through and through 100% a Guillermo del Toro movie. Like you get the darkness, you get the weird imagery, you get the weird creatures, you get fascism, okay? You get fascism in a Pinocchio movie. Benito Mussolini is a freaking character in a Pinocchio movie. <laughs> And it is fucking incredible. I, I love Pinocchio. I think it's really, really beautiful. I I would honestly say it is my favorite stop-motion animated film of all time. Like, above Fantastic Mr. Fox, above yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas, Coraline. I freaking adore this film. Anyways, <laughs> that is it for my 10 honorable mentions. You know, just as a recap. Number 20, Avatar The Way of Water. Number 19, Broker. Number 18, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Number 17, Decision to Leave. Number 16, The Whale. Number 15, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Number 14, Glass Onion. Number 13, The Fablemans. Number 12, Elvis. And number 11, Pinocchio. And now, it is time we go into our first musical break. And we are going to listen to a song from my number 10 film in my actual top 10 ranking. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you what the movie is, but, you know... You guys try to guess what the movie is based on the song that I'm about to play. Okay, and here it is. Thank you. 
people on streets. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Are you looking for ways to be a part of the community through low-stakes opportunities like volunteering? What about making friends that are really cool or have some common interests? Well, I'm here to tell you that at CITR, you can come volunteer at Volunteer Wednesdays, happening every other Wednesday from 12 to 3 with a really fun activity each time, like making signs or button making. Not only is it a great break from outside stress, but a great opportunity to be a part of the community. For more information, you can visit CITR's Instagram page at CITR and Discorder. 
You know what I could go for right now? Authentic flour tortillas pan fried until golden brown. Yum! Or vegan taco kits filled with Hello everybody and welcome back to this very special episode of The Real World. This is your host Juan Pablo Sa talking to you from CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. We are here at the uh, the CITR station at UBC Point Grey campus located in the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Once again, I am joined by Lily Grow, the amazing junior radio liaison for the UBC Film Society. Say hello, Lily. Hello. And I am also joined by a very special guest and this guest is none other than Oren. Hey, what's up? <laughs> How are our listeners? <laughs> Every, everything's going great, Oren. We are talking about my top 10 movies of 2022. Perfect. By the way, Oren, this is Lily. Lily is hey. junior radio liaison for the UBC oh, Film oh Society. Whoa. <laughs> this is so meta. Hell yeah. <laughs> Sorry we don't have headphones for you, but... Oh, no, I... I can do it without. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, what actually, a professional. You know, funny, I think those are actually my headphones I brought in that I forgot. In the oh, Lily's stealing Oren's headphones. No, they're the best ones. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> For those of you listening to the radio, Oren just pointed at Lily's headphones, accusing her of theft. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> in the worst degree. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lily might be no more after this. Yeah. After this inconvenience. No more abolition. We're into jails. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Oren, I think you're going to be very happy with the moment you decided to join us. Oh. Because we are going through my top 10 of the years. Lovely. I just gave my honorable mentions. I will just go through them very quickly <laughs> once again so that, you know, you guys who just caught the show are up to date. Yeah. My number 20, Avatar The Way of Water. My number 19, Broker. Number 18, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh, number that's... 17, Decision to Leave. Number 16, The Whale. Number 15, Marcel the Shell with Shoes on. Number 14, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Number 13, The Fablemans. Number 12, Elvis. Number 11, Pinocchio. Whoa. One, I literally thought half of those would be in your top 10. Ah, well, you'll see what's That's in my top so 10. so interesting. <laughs> I mean, my... Top 10 is just bodies, 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 but that's <laughs> that's another story for me being obsessed with uh, Charlie X6. <laughs> Hell yes. The soundtrack. By the way, Lily, uh, uh, Oren uh, watched Bodies, Bodies, Bodies with me. We watched the film together in the theater. It was a great experience. It was experience. crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. Oren was having a blast. Big one. <laughs> uh, anyway, now moving on to my actual top 10. Yeah. Starting with number 10. So, Oren... We just played a song, Under Pressure, from Queen and uh, David Bowie. Crazy. That yeah. is from my number 10 film of the year. Can you guess what film this is? Oh, I definitely could, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the same time, I can't do that. <laughs> well, it is none other than After Sun. Wow. Charlotte Wells' directorial debu- debut after Sun. Amazing. I hear amazing reviews. Wait, you haven't seen After Sun? I haven't seen it. I thought you loved After Sun. I have not seen it. Well, I, maybe I made that up. <laughs> you, that's a fair thing. I like it. If you think that I'll like it, then I'll like it. Hell yes. Yeah. Well, okay, to tell you guys a little bit about why I love After Sun. So After Sun is an absolutely beautiful film. Um, it is just one of the most understated yet poignant pieces of cinema I saw in the entire 2022 it is a film that is stuck in a weird liminal space in between the past, the present, and the future. You know, the film has like this weird moments where the main character is already grown up. She's already an adult and she's basically reminiscing on this 
you know, on the last trip that she had with her father before she didn't see him anymore for reasons that I won't spoil. But it is very sad. It is full of melancholy. And you're just seeing this trip. You're just seeing this vacation, this this father and his daughter going on a vacation. But everything feels so heavy, so poignant and so important just because of the detail that you know that in the future, this girl is going to grow up to remember in this vacation, trying to figure out what happened, trying to see if she can find the hints for what's going to have come next. It's such a beautiful film. It's very sad. It's very profound. It has some of the most beautiful cinematography, directing and writing I've seen all year. Wow. I absolutely adore it. My number 10, After Sun. Lily, what are your thoughts on After Sun? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Her debut as well. Yeah. So I think she did a fantastic job. Um, yeah. I completely agree. Um, but b- by the way, Lily, I think you might have to speak a bit louder <laughs> because I, I, I don't see you registering in the thing. So I don't know if people listening can can <laughs> can hear. Uh, but no, that okay, that's fine. Yes, there, there, there. I could hear you. Oh wait, oh Lily's my bad. <laughs> You were off. <laughs> you you were off. I'm so off. sorry. Okay, now you're on. Now we can hear you. I was yeah. like, why the hell can we listen to Lily? <laughs> okay, apologies to everyone listening at home. It is 100% my bad. Orin just silenced me. Moral wow, of the story, I love After Sun. <laughs> I am so sorry, Lily. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I swear it wasn't intended. I was like, why is it? Like, you were sounding properly before. What happened? Like, you were speaking the same volume. Okay, no, that, yes. Perfect. Thank you, Orin. <laughs> We've got it. We've got it under control. <laughs> Hell yes. Anyways, uh, apologize for that, but that is my number 10. Wow. Then my number nine, speaking of silencing Lily and silencing women, <laughs> oh. my number nine is She Said. Wow. Nice segue. I also haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. I haven't seen any of these movies, to be honest. Okay, She Said is a movie that it really makes me mad that it has completely fallen out of the conversation. It really enrages me that no one is talking about this film anymore. Yeah. And like award. Yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Award season is happening. You know, freaking Critics' Choice Awards happened yesterday. The Golden Globes already happened. Where is She Said? Where the fuck is She Said? (laughs) Hi, Brad Pitt. When. Who was doing their award speech when they said that? I feel like everyone said that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People love Brad Pitt. Yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> but yeah, the point is, I completely adore She Said. For those of you who don't know, She Said uh, tells the real-life story of how they caught Harvey Weinstein, who is one of the most infamous producers in Hollywood history, who basically used his position of power as the big leader of Miramax, just abuse of his workers. And, you know, abuse of innocent, you know, female persons who just they just wanted a career in film you know they just wanted a job they just wanted a career they just wanted a professional work environment and this guy Harvey Weinstein just completely abused of them and you know did whatever he pleased with them and they you know this women were silenced for such a long time because nobody dared try to oppose Harvey Weinstein his power and the power of Miramax until eventually a couple of reporters from the New York Times ended up you know digging deeper and deeper and eventually releasing you know the big story of all of the atrocities that Harvey Weinstein did. I absolutely adore this film. I think it is one of the most haunting movies I saw all year. 
it it really it gave me what how do you say that in english it gave me chicken skin like when it oh uh, yeah goosebumps it, yes that thank you lily <laughs> it <laughs> really gave me goosebumps like the way they depicted the things that happened in between Harvey Weinstein and the women is absolutely haunting it is not exploitative it is like many of the times they the the film actually uses real life like audio from the real victims talking about what happened and while the audio is playing you just see like a shower or a hot tub or the number of the room where that thing happened and it just ah uh, it just it's just completely disgusting yeah also the way in which this film deals with Harvey Weinstein and the way in which they keep him hidden just like they would keep hidden a monster in a horror movie it was really well made as it was really proper i really really enjoyed it and also the final shot of the film is also one of the most powerful endings i've seen the entire year really mm. really good i love she said also the opening scene can we talk about the opening scene okay i i'm i'm going to i'm going to say what happens in the opening scene because it, it's the opening scene i'm not spoiling anything yeah but the opening scene you just see this girl you know full of hope full of excitement she's just walking her dog and then she walks into a beach in in like london in england And a then she beach. sees, yes, in London. <laughs> no, in 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 the United Kingdom, more okay. okay. <laughs> I'm like, baby, you mean the river? <laughs> no, okay. She no, she walks into a proper beach. Yeah, and she sees like a perfect recreation of like a period piece battle with like pirate ships and soldiers and cannons and explosions, and she's just floored with excitement. The magic of movies. She's just like, holy shit, this is incredible. Then, in a very quick montage, you see, you know, she starts to talk to people who work in the set, talks to more people, talks to more people. She eventually becomes a PA on the set. Everything is great. Then a character comes and asks her to go into a tent to talk to someone who wants to talk to her. Then we cut, and the very next shot we see is her, without shoes on and like nearly. Like undressed, just running down the streets, crying like completely a wreck, without showing you what happened, without showing you Harvey Weinstein. That mo that scene, that juxtaposition between the magic of movie making and the horrors of what happened behind the scenes, it just uh, it it's it's really really fascinating. I I I love this movie, and more people should watch it. Come on, watch she said. Yeah, yeah. everyone, watch it. <laughs> watch it. <laughs> Um anyways that's my number nine. Then my number eight is another film that eight. I <laughs> She ate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well then my number eight is another film that I really freaking adore. It is a horror film. Do you guys have any guesses? I mean Lily you're seeing the list so maybe you maybe list. you don't guess but um, Oren any guess? Cannot see. I'm really bad at like the um guessing stuff. So I don't know actually. I don't know what came out this year in oh, terms horror. of horror. Well, Lily, do you want to tell Oren the right answer? It was nope. Oh, I actually didn't see nope. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I didn't I see it either. But anything this year, I haven't been in the cinema at all. Unbelievable. Uh, I know, but I did see. I did see spoilers. I did see like the whole allegory of like the like the media as mm, like the yeah. the spaceship and yeah. like all of the the screams. Not to spoil anything, but um, just like the idea of like the all encompassing kind of media. Yeah discussed. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Nope is the newest horror film from director writer and director Jordan Peele, who previously made Get Out and Us, two films that I really freaking love. I am in the minority 
I am in the group of people who personally prefer us over Get Out. I know wow. there are no men, not many of us, <laughs> but I, I I love us. I love Get Out, and I really freaking love Nope. I think it's a haunting film. I think it's a terrifying film. It has some of the most breathtaking set pieces and just moments of pure spectacle that I've seen all year. Yeah. This film is Jaws, but <laughs> upside down. This is literally upside down Jaws. Jaws in the sky. Jaws in the sky. <laughs> like, you know, instead of people looking down at the sea, being like, where the hell is this shark? People are looking up at the cloud, being like, where the hell is this thing? Which I'm not going to spoil. Yeah, where no is this spoilers. There's also a chimp subplot that really traumatized me. That was really, really, really disturbing. I, I think Nope is just one of the most thought-provoking and breathtaking films I saw the entire year, and it is another absolute win for Jordan Peele. I think my review on Letterboxd for Nope is literally, Nope is a horrific spectacle about the horrors of spectacle. So yes, yeah. it is yeah. a movie that has a deep commentary about how horrific it is, the way we milk living beings for money, for spectacle, for entertainment. It is disturbing. It is incredible. I freaking love Nope. Now, moving on to number seven. Ooh. My favorite superhero movie of the year, which oh. there weren't many great ones. Yeah, I'm going to set this one out. <laughs> <laughs> But there was one. There was one that was absolutely incredible. And that is the one and only The Batman. Yeah. Fuck yes. <laughs> Robert Pattinson. Yeah, Shout I, out Robert Pattinson. <laughs> I, I, I love Matt Reeves. I think he's a great yeah. director. I love his Planet of the Apes trilogy. But this film, holy shit, he came to play. He came prepared. He ate. Yeah, he should have been eight. <laughs> I genuinely think this film has the best depiction of Gotham City I've ever seen no way. in any Batman piece of media ever. Yeah. It is grimy, it is wet, it is dark, it is just oozing with crime and villainy and mm-hmm. de- de- degeneracy. Yes, degeneracy. Yeah. I almost said Ellen DeGeneres. But <laughs> it would have been the same. <laughs> This is funny. Didn't you write your thesis on this? On, on Batman? I wrote my thesis on the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, exactly. So yes. this is very much your specialty. It's very much up my alley. I love Batman. Batman, Batman is by far my favorite superhero of all time. Yeah. Wow. Um, And this reached your expectations, your hopes for it? Oh, hell yeah. Wow. Batman I think scholar, you could say. I, 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 <laughs> you could say I'm a Batman scholar. Uh, but yeah, no, like what Matt Reeves did in this film, particularly with the character of Riddler, like Riddler has always been like, the butt of Batman jokes. Like, no one cares about Riddler. It's just, like, this funny, silly little green guy who mm-hmm. gives riddles. And, like, Jim Carrey played him, and it was, like, very campy and very silly. Yeah, yes. not this Cam. time. Yeah, yeah. When I tell you I was regretting watching it alone in my room, like, in the dark, when the Riddler was on, like, I was sweating. That was such a creepy performance. Like, yep. it was so good, but it was so creepy. And Paul Dano, yeah. one of the best actors of our generation, Oh. I can I genuinely say I genuinely believe that like his work in Prisoners in There Will Be Blood and as the Riddler in the Batman come on the guy's a legend yeah also Colin Farrell is a penguin uh, take sweet. it easy sweetheart oh. <laughs> el ratalana yeah everyone call in for your impression <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm sure you'll very much enjoyed my spot on impression of Colin Farrell's penguin Uh, but yeah, that is my number seven, The Batman. I absolutely love it. You guys seen it, right? I haven't. Oh, I know. I'm so bad. About you haven't seen any one of my top ten so no, far. I have a funny feeling that maybe one that we saw together is going to be... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think the one yeah. that you were very emotional at oh, yes. is going to be in <laughs> yes. the yes. top ten. <laughs> yes. It's it w- coming up. It is coming up. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I don't know what this one is. I'm nervous. It, it will be up there. But yeah, anyways... I have a great screening story to share. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I don't think we have the time. No, no, we'll do it. We'll, okay. we'll, be, we'll be quick okay. so that we can get there. Yeah, we'll be quick. Um, anyway, um, my number six, being very quick, my number six is The Northman. Um. One of the most badass testosterone fueled films <laughs> I've seen in my entire freaking life, okay? Yeah. I love Robert Eggers. I love the historical accuracy of his films. Mm-hmm. I love how hard he tries to just like get immersed in this world and just, you know, the language, the way they speak, the culture, the traditions, the costumes. It's all so historically accurate. And this film is not the exception. The way this film blends just Scandinavian mythology and Viking lore and Viking culture and just some of the best action scenes I've seen all year is it was it was absolutely breathtaking. That one take. Have you guys seen The Northman? Yeah. Hey, fuck yeah. No. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm in film. <laughs> but there's that there's one long take that is basically just the Vikings invading a village. And it starts outside the village walls and then they climb a wall and they fight and they oh, kill. Yeah. And uh, towards there's the beginning. Yeah. Was it? There are like there are like there are ducks, there are sheep, there are roosters and hens, there are women, there are people, there's fire, there's explosions, there Boom. are horses. Boom. And it's just—it's like everything a, you could ever want, everything it, Juan could ever. Want. No, no, it's but true, it's a five-minute one take. It's like if you're making a one take, the the least yeah. amount of variables that could go wrong, the better. But here they had all the variables: <laughs> yeah. children, animals, fire, action, blood. It's just yeah. like holy shit. It's like if 1917 slayed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if they did it good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you're right, Orin. Um. But yeah, I love The Northman. For those of you who don't know, uh, Robert Eggers, he's the guy who made uh, The Lighthouse and The Witch, two horror films that I really freaking adore. Uh, The Northman is not a horror film, but uh, it is... The Northman tells the story of a Viking called Amleth, which, fun fact, uh, the story of Amleth the Viking is actually the story that inspired William Shakespeare to write the story of Hamlet. Oh, wow. So for all of you guys who are like, oh, I don't like The Northman, the story is just basically Hamlet... Well, yeah, that's because this is the story that inspired Hamlet, okay? Yeah, that's the whole point. So exactly. get your facts straight, okay? Yes, yeah. just like Lily said. <laughs> Amazing. Lily I just learned that fact, but I'm going <laughs> to use it against people now. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. You now, my number five. Now, now all, all my top five, all films in this top five are films that I gave 10 out of 10. Wow. Until now... No, okay, no. The, Uncontested. The Northman I also gave 10 out of 10, personally. Okay, but 9.99. But, <laughs> but this this five, this following five, it 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 generally could be any freaking order. Like, I, yeah. I, I fucking it's just arbitrary. adore all yeah. of these films. And I'm sad we're going to have to be a bit fast because yeah. we only have nine more minutes, but I'll be freaking fast. Of course. Number five, Top Gun Maverick. Fuck yes. Wow. Blockbusters are yep. back. Mm-hmm. Hollywood is making movies just like they used to. Mm-hmm. You know, f- films are back. Excitement is back. Freaking set pieces are back. Just giant freaking spectacle is back. Yeah. And the fact, just, okay, Tom Cruise, say what you will about his Scientology things yeah. and about all, all and of his, his beliefs. I mean, oh, wait. No, never mind. <laughs> hey, what's wrong with being short? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, thank you, man. But uh, the point is... same. not short. I, I am. I Yes, I am very short, but I, I'm proud of it. I'm not short. I'm, I'm, I'm adorable size, okay? Uh, adorable size. Yeah, hell yeah. But um, um, the point is, Top Gun Maverick, the amount of dedication that Tom Cruise has to the craft of filmmaking, yeah. the fact that him and all of his co-stars learn how to fight real-life fighter jets 
It, uh, for this film, it's absolutely incredible. Really? Every single I maneuver know, yeah. that you see in the film, every time they pl the planes flip and do like 360s and do like weird stuff, that's all real. And wow. they not only learn how to fly planes, mm -hmm. they needed to learn how to fly planes while simultaneously acting and saying their lines while simultaneously being their own DPs, their own directors of photography, because there's no place for another person with a camera inside their cockpits. So wow. they had to work the cameras, they had to fly the planes, and they also had to act. That by itself, the craft that went behind Top Gun Maverick, that by itself makes me absolutely adore that film. But that, paired with a really freaking great story, that yes, sure, it is simple. Sure, it is a throwback to the 1980s films where it's like America good, everyone else bad. Hell yeah, we love that. But we, <laughs> you know, we love some American escapism every so often. There's nothing wrong with that. It's fantasy. It's fantasy escapism. Yeah. And this film had some of the most emotional moments I've seen the entire year. Val Kilmer coming back as Iceman, his character from the original That's Top Gun. so yeah. funny. For those of you who don't know, Val Kilmer actually has throat cancer. Like, he actually <laughs> has cancer. So in the film, when Val, when 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 Tom Cruise, when you know, when Pete Maverick, and when all the characters are talking about how eyes, how it hurts for him to talk, and how he's suffering, that's real. Damn. Like the, it really hurts Val Kilmer to talk. So in the film, <laughs> when he talked and when he gave that line, telling Maverick to go back to to Rooster to help the his friend's son, that was actually him making an effort, and you know just battling through the pain just to make a great performance. I, I love Top Gun Maverick. Music by Hans Zimmer, original song by oh, Lady Gaga. Really? I didn't know Hans Zimmer did the, wow. This film is sweeping through, it, it's getting best cinematography at all the awards. Like, I'm not the kidding. funding on this project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it was worth it. Like, this film has become an absolute success story. It has made so, so much money. I love Top Gun Maverick. Lily, any thoughts on Top Gun Maverick? I agree. I thought I thought it was good. Hell yeah, we got <laughs> Lily. Hey, um, now, okay, Jesus Christ, six more minutes. <laughs> no, we gotta go. Speed. Number four, yeah. the Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, Holy shit, I adore this film. This film is a perfect film. This film is one of the most philosophically stimulating films I saw the entire year. This is a movie that asks the big question, particularly the question, you know, what gives meaning to our life? Like, is it enough to just simply be a nice person? Or do we need to make something that we can leave behind in order for our lives to have meaning? Interesting. It, it's uh, the way these two philosophies are portrayed perfectly and beautifully by Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell is just an absolute charm. This film, it toes the very fine line in between being an absolutely hilarious comedy, but also one of the most sad and depressing films I saw the entire year. It has some of the best performances of the year. It has some of the best writing I've seen all year. And it is yet another film, another great film from director Martin McDonough, who previously directed Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri from 2017, so good. which I fucking adore. Yeah. In Bruges and Seven Psychopath. So hell yes. Yeah. I love Martin McDonough. I love his work. Mm -hmm. And The Banshees of Inisherin might be up there along with Three Billboards as my favorites. Any thoughts on Banshees? I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, come on, Orin. I'm so sorry. I was just going to say the cinematography and three billboards crazy yes how pretty that was anyway. yes and same in this one Hell cinematography yes. was that's definitely stood out it was beautiful i agree it was beautiful no tour. and so sad come on no tour now next num number three this is an incredibly controversial pick wow. i know so many people who just absolutely hate this film 
Yeah. It bombed in the box office. It made absolutely no money. <laughs> Critics are panning it. People are panning it. So it's but I, I fucking adore this film, and I will fight anyone. Okay? Yeah. This film is Damien Chazelle's Babylon. I, I oh, adore this film. I, I fucking adore it. I was just speaking about this with Aisia, actually. Uh-huh. She said it was crazy. Yeah, crazy good or crazy, crazy bad? Good. Fuck yes. Yeah. Aisia is one of mine, I guess. It's true. It's true. <laughs> no, but okay. Here's what I love about this film. Um, I have seen online that a lot of people are a bit shocked by how different Babylon is to other Damien Chazelle projects. And yes, that is 100% correct. It is by far his biggest film. It has a big ensemble. It has a, a big time period. It begins in 1927 and it ends in 1954, I think. It follows Jesus. like four different characters throughout the history of Hollywood as it is yeah. transitioning from the golden age to something completely different. Mm-hmm. It is big. It is rambunctious. It is a spectacular you know, compared to La La Land and Whiplash and First Man, that's completely different. Whiplash, La La Land and First Man, those are just little films about one character and their own inner psyche and their own inner demons. So I can see why people who were expecting something along the lines of Damien Chazelle's previous body of work might be a bit disappointed, mm-hmm. but I freaking love Babylon. And what I love the most about this film is how this film manages to be simultaneously disgusting and beautiful at the exact same time. It is simultaneously magic as it is simultaneously condemning the horrors that happen in the golden age of Hollywood, it, it, it is one of those films that it, it operates in this weird liminal space in between being horrible and disgusting and beautiful and mesmerizing. And it is, it is one of those slice-of-life films where you're just following three characters as they live through this very rambunctious period in Hollywood history. And it just it, it brought me to tears. I will also say that the ending of Babylon is one of the most insane endings. Okay, no. It is the most insane ending I saw mm. in any 2022 film ever. Like, wow. if I give you a thousand tries to try to guess what happens at the end, I <laughs> guarantee you won't guess it. Like, I guarantee it. I heard about the very debaucherous um, first scene, though. Oh, hell Apparently yeah. Apparently that was crazy. It's insane. So I'm just thinking about what the ending could be. And oh, it's you won't guess it. <laughs> if there's any more excrement in the final scene. <laughs> You, you'll never guess. Like, you'll yeah. never guess. All I'll say is the parties in Babylon make the parties in The Great Gatsby look like children's party. Yeah. Really? It's, like, The Great Gatsby parties look tame compared yeah. to the amount of degeneracy that is on screen in Babylon. The I was watching an interview on, like, the Graham Norton show of uh-huh. the person just jumping yeah. onto someone else. Yeah. Oh, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, Anyways. if this sounds like you're a cup of tea, definitely check out Babylon. It's, in my opinion, it's a masterpiece. All the freaks listening. <laughs> no, not even freaks, like adventurous people. So freaks. <laughs> <laughs> now, my number two. God damn. This is the, like, it is genuinely the only film I've seen that is not made by Stanley Kubrick and that I would still call Kubrickian. Interesting. And this film is Tar. Todd Field's Star. Never seen. Wow. I haven't seen it, it either. This film is one of the only few times this year in theaters where I left the theater and I was physically shaking by how just moved wow. I felt by the experience that I just went through. Okay, where do, where do I begin? This film contains the best female performance of the year, in my opinion, Kate Blanchett as the fictional composer, Lydia Tarr. So beautiful. Absolutely incredible. This film is directed by Todd Field, who played the piano player in Ice White Shot in Stanley oh. Kubrick's Ice White Shot. Oh. 
Oh. So it makes sense that, of course, he, he, you know, he sucked in through osmosis all of this Kubrickian energy. Yeah. And now he made such a freaking masterpiece. This is a film that doesn't spoon feed you. It doesn't tell you what its messages are. It doesn't tell you what it's trying to say. Mm-hmm. It just shows you the story of this fictional character called Lydia Tarr. Lydia Tarr is a control freak who is obsessed with power. She's obsessed with the power that she has. She's obsessed with the with the fact that her um that her symphony, her orchestra mm-hmm. cannot begin playing music until she gets there and she raises her hand. She's a control freak. She's mm-hmm. obsessed with power and she yeah. starts abusing of her power with some of the people in her orchestra. And this film is all about delving deep into the trenches of the very controversial and convoluted question, is it possible to separate the artist from the art? And once again, this is not a film that spoon feeds you answers. Yeah. It just it just shows you this story and it leaves it up to you. It has some of the most incredible long takes I've ever seen in my life. Wow. This this film was so okay, here's how I'll put it. This film was so good that I left the theater believing that Lydia Tarr was a real life human being. <laughs> and I was shocked that I had never ever in my life heard about this person. Yeah. But and and you know, as soon as the film ended, I went in Wikipedia and I was like Lydia Tarr, who the why haven't I heard of this person? Wow. And I was like, "No, it's completely fictional." And I was like, "God damn." Yeah. This is a fictional movie. I love Tarr. It's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly slow. So so slow. <laughs> slow But, cinema. God damn. It just it just moved me in ways that I I I I never experienced. Right. I I'm not a fan of slow cinema. I usually hate slow cinema. I mean, heck, Top Gun Maverick is my number five of all time. Like <laughs> yeah, in this in every 2022. Every seconds there's an explosion. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not the biggest fan of slow cinema. And this film, even though it is like one of the slowest films I saw last year, it it just kept me enthralled. It's absolutely incredible. Okay, now Before we jump into my number one of the year, let's go into our final musical break. And we are going to listen to a song from my number one film of all time. Uh, no, not of all time, of the year. <laughs> no, no, of the year. And I'm going to make sure I turn it on this time. And here is the song. Not only what we've known. 
You know what I could go for right now? Authentic flour tortillas pan-fried until golden brown. Yum! Or vegan taco kits filled with traditional Mexican chilies and spices. Yeah, that sounds good. Or how about vegan potato and chorizo taquitos? How can I get these foods immediately? Buy Lita's Mexican Foods. Sounds delicious. Tell me more. Lita's Mexican Foods is a female-managed, plant-based Mexican food innovator in BC. Their products come pre-packaged and frozen at tons of local grocery stores around Metro Vancouver. Not to mention they can be cooked in under 10 minutes! Wow, that sounds perfect for me. I've been so busy lately and dinner takes so long to make. Where can I get my hands on some Lita's Mexican Foods? Lots of places! Whole Foods, Choices, Stongs, Vegan Supply, Donald's, and even UBC Bookstore. Hey, where are you going? To buy some Lita's Mexican foods. See you later. See ya. You have five old messages. Saturday, 10, 11 p.m. Is Robert there? Friday, 1, 41 p.m. This is your final courtesy call, as you should have received mail. On January 17th, CITR 101.9 FM presents our annual 24 Hours of Radio Art Programming, featuring innovative approaches to music and sound. It's 24 hours of spoken word, ambient, drone, field recordings, and sound walks, collage, technical support calls, voicemail fails, sound art, and noise. Listen live on CITR 101.9 FM or online at CITR.ca. And we urge you to treat any down lines or related equipment as if it is energized. This includes touching power lines or anything that could be in contact with down power lines. Severe injury and or death is possible. We know this outage is long and frustrating, but it is not worth not losing a life over. Our experienced and highly trained crews continue to make progress as safely as they can. Tune into Post Rock Friday from 10 to 11 with your host John P for the best in post rock, drone, ambient, experimental, and noise. CITR is Welcome back to the real world. This is your host, Ampano Sa, talking to you from CITR, 101.9 FM, Vancouver. I hope you all enjoyed that musical break, but now it is time to jump right back into our main topic, which is my top 10 movies of 2022. Once again, I am here with the incredible, the amazing Lily Grow, junior radio liaison for the UBC Film Society. Hello. And I am also joined by the one and only, the guy who hasn't seen any of the films in my top 10, Oren Pavong. Hey. <laughs> Did I say your last name correctly? Um, yeah, you can say it a few ways. If you want it. Pavone. Yeah, that's the Italian one. Really? Ooh. I usually say Pavone, but oh. you can say Pavone if you're English. Nah, Pavone. <laughs> yeah, it's like Leone or like all those. Oh, shit. it's an one. Do people roll their R's? Orin? Orin Pavone? My Italian name is Oronzo. 
Whoa. Yeah, isn't it crazy? We are joined by Oronzo Pavone. Oronzo Pavone. Oronzo Pavone. That's how you say it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, well, okay. Now, um, okay, n- now it is time we talk about my number one of the year. Once again, little recap. My number 10 was After Sun. My number nine was She Said. My number eight was Nope. My number seven was The Batman. My number six was The Norseman. My number five was Top Gun Maverick. My number four was The Banshees of Inisherin. My number three was Babylon. My number two was Star. And my number one, the best movie I saw in 2022, an absolute masterpiece, is, is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Orin, do you know what this is, by the way? <laughs> What am I looking at? Oh, Look, no, no, it's fine. I pay no attention to that? No attention. Okay, for those of you who don't know, there's a weird beeping there's, there's red. A, yeah, there's something. There's, yeah. It looks like a bomb or something is going to happen. Yeah, I didn't want to say, but <laughs> and it's there's ca- something that's counting down. <laughs> and it's counting down, yeah. <laughs> no, we're oh. fine. Uh, okay, okay, we're fine. We didn't die. <laughs> we yes. didn't explode. The point is, my number one film of 2022 is Everything Everywhere All at Once. I absolutely adore this film. This film was by far the most pleasant surprise I had in the entire year. I had seen the trailer, and I I, I, I love the Daniels. I think they're very talented. I have only seen one of their previous films, which is Swiss Army Man. And I love Swiss Army Man. I think it's a very fun, very quirky film where Daniel Radcliffe plays a farting corpse. I know Lily is a big Harry Potter fan, so have you seen Swiss Army Man? No, I haven't. Well, no, you, I'm scared to see that. No, nah, you you Sorry. might want to look at it if you want to see Harry Potter farting a lot. Oh, gosh. I would be that farting corpse, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, no, Swiss Army Man is a lot of fun, and it's a, it's a surprisingly beautiful film. Also with Paul Dano, by the way, who played Riddler. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's Riddler and Harry Potter farting in a beach. Crossover. That's the film. Okay. Sounds, yeah. I, I love Swiss Army Man. But so, yeah, so, you know, I was expecting this film to be quirky. I was expecting it to be fun. I saw the trailer. The trailer seemed hectic, like lots of colors, lots of like action scenes. Michelle Yeoh being a badass, like multiverse stuff. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. Let's see what happens. And then I went into the theater. And what I ended up getting is one of the most profound experiences I had all year. It was it just it just took my breath away. This film made me cry. This film made me laugh. This film made me smile. It I think it is the best title out of any films that came out in 2022 because this film truly is everything, everywhere, all at once. If you want some high caliber, high art romance a la Wong Kar Wai style, you get it. You get that romance. If you want a silly, jackass, people hurting themselves stuff, you get that. If you want people shoving stuff up their orifices, you also get that. If you want beautiful, profound moments of human connection, you get that. If you want Pixar-style ratatouille-like stuff, but with a raccoon, you also get that. <laughs> this film is literally everything, everywhere, all at once. And I fucking love it. I think Michelle Yeoh is a genius. I think Ki Hoi Kwan is for sure going to win Best Supporting Actor this year. He's been sweeping. By the way, he played Short Round, the little kid in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes. And the picture that he took hugging Sp- Steven Spielberg was like one of the cutest things I've seen. And he's also been thanking Steven Spielberg for like giving him his start in, in I, Hollywood. I cried yeah. at his beautiful. Golden Globe speech. It was beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, I hope he... So yeah, I, I adore everything everywhere. I think it's one of the most ambitious films I've seen and it succeeded. It, it just landed. It stuck the freaking landing. For $25 million. Yeah, such a small budget, such a small team. I, I think yeah. I might be wrong, but I think all the VFX in this film were made by like five people. 
Yeah. yeah. That's fucking insane. <laughs> I was reading that on like the fun facts and that they weren't, they didn't even like go to school specifically for visual <laughs> yeah. effects. They just kind of like watched tutorials. Yeah, like yeah. that sounds like very fake news, but like I believe it. Like that's so also so cool though. Yeah. This film is just inspirational in ways that I can't even begin to explain. Like it, 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 it is one of those films that as soon as I left it, I was like, yeah, I want to make movies like this. It restores my faith. It, it's like, it rejuvenates me. It re-energizes me. I, I love this movie. Once again, it's been a while since I've seen a film that has made me laugh and then literally a second a second later made me cry about two freaking rocks having a conversation. Oh my gosh. Through subtitles. <laughs> That's insane. It is so insane. Unexpected. <laughs> uh but yes, I, I I absolutely love the film and that is it for my top ten films of twenty twenty two. We are a bit over time. I apologize about that. Um, but yeah, uh, that is it for my top 10. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And do you guys want to say goodbye? Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Once again, follow uh, UBC Film Society on Instagram. If you guys want to stay up to date with all future events that the UBC Film Sock is doing. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you guys next week. <laughs>